This week's episode of Lawyer Up is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash lawyer up. Over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Jackie Hearn, it's showtime. It is showtime, Rick Foster. I am so excited. This has been such a great episode. We are talking Better Call Saul Season 1, Episode 650. Hey, by the way, we have a guest there in your studio. Yes, back with us is Sharon. How are you doing? And uh, Hi. Uh, and uh, what, what's your opinion on the season so far? Oh, well, doing great. I really I really like how the season has progressed, um, and I'm especially excited to talk about this last episode, which I think has been my favorite so far. Really? Yeah. Yeah, what about you, Rick? What, what do you think as far as – we can start to, to rate them by episodes now. We, we, we have... can, uh, but uh, I, I guess this is definitely the best out of the season. Yes. But maybe we'll – I'll touch on this a little. It's very non-Saul. He's only in uh, one act. I mean, every other of the main characters are nowhere to be found. So it is strictly a character, you know, a story character arc piece, which kind of leads into uh, the main the main story. Mike talking about his son that he used to work for in the force in Philadelphia. Tragic story. His son was killed in the line of duty and his wife, who recently relocated to Albuquerque, kind of questions why he died the way he did. Things kind of start to add up where it's revealed that everybody in the Philadelphia Police Department it has some sort of hand in in a dirty crime and except Mike's son which I don't know I don't remember if we got a name or not Matty uh, Matt okay yeah Matty yeah he was very for the greater good and he saw these people doing bad things and he didn't think like you know I this is a bad thing I have to turn these people in but it's it's a you either you either do dirty things or you get burned in you know being this good guy for trying to turn your basically brothers in arms in for for things uh so yeah. i guess my kind of opinion you know my question to everybody here is just uh is that a good thing to to uh kind of turn the blind eye uh for all these bad things just because everybody else is doing it i'll let sharon go first cuz i i have a comment about about cops going bad, as they say. No pun intended. <laughs> I think that's an interesting question, and I feel like it doesn't matter. If you're in a situation like that where everybody's bad, you don't really have an option. It is it is what it is, and you try to deal with it the best you can, I feel like. Kind of a, a an adapt to your uh, surrounding. Yeah, and I feel like most people, it seems like from TV shows, adapt by going along with it. Now, how about you, Jackie? Is there... Yeah, this kind of ties into my, my thought as well, so we can kind of segue, you know, as we're talking about this. But I, um, yeah, this 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 scene, I really, lo I really like this. I guess when it comes down to the very end, when Mike is basically confessing to Stacy, who is Maddie, his son's wife, the, the mother of his daughter, Kaylee, a granddaughter, Kaylee. Mm -hmm. He's saying, he's just finally telling her the whole truth and says, I was the one that made him dirty. And I took him down to my, I made him lesser. My son was stubborn 
and he was great, and he wasn't going to take this money, but I was the one who talked him into it. And what I like about this is it's so real about a lot of the corruption in big cities, uh, and I'm not saying Philadelphia. I'm not going to like try to call attention <laughs> to say that I'm calling out a mob or something. I don't know. I don't know Philadelphia. I don't know what the politics are like. But I do know very well that there are cities where the p actual police are not paid enough money mm -hmm. so that they will take bribes because the political machine in that area – I mean this has been a, a thing that's been going on throughout the 19th century or the 20th century and you know into the 21st. But um, that they will take money so they will take bribes so that they, that they can always be counted on uh, for whatever political pressure – is thrown their way. And I mean, and I, I shouldn't talk politics, shouldn't get into that, but I'm not comparing it to anything today. Um, but this is, a, it, it, this is obviously where the writers are taking this example from, where mm -hmm. cops, you know, they go into the, the field to, because, you know, I would imagine that m the majority of them want to do good. You know, mm -hmm. I would say yeah. to do a job like that, you, you risk your life. You really want to do the best you can. I really like this because it was a, clear example of uh, Mike and his son wanting to do good and then getting into the business and then realizing he's got to follow along. And that's, and that's the thing is like he, Maddie kind of had Mike on this pedestal. And then, you know, when he told, you know, his father, what's going on, his father is like, yeah, you don't want to, you don't want any hand in, in, you know, being the white knight type thing, sunk him down to the level, you know, to his level. Unfortunately he got burned for it, which, uh, we kind of lead into the the reveal, uh, you know, of Mike uh, discovering that uh, the people that were Maddie's partners uh, actually had had actually set up to where uh, Maddie died in a crack house. I believe it was a crack house sting, and yeah. he got he got shot. So why don't we, Jackie? Why don't you kind of lead in and kind of talk about uh, okay. just the surroundment, the surroundings in that in that bar when. He discovers all this stuff. Yeah, you know, I really love this scene because I mean, are I are you you guys are familiar with The Godfather? Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. So you know that scene in The Godfather where Michael Corleone uh, hugs Fredo mm -hmm. and he says, "I knew it was you." I knew it was you, Fredo. Mm -hmm. uh, because I knew. I remember as a Breaking Bad fan that Breaking Bad was kind of set up to emulate uh, Scarface, but now it's like we're seeing a lot of Godfather. Ish. Again, anyways, or maybe it's just the whole the whole mob thing that I was talking about, and that's what clicked to me about the cops and the cops, you know, going bad. Uh, which I I love that the that 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 same Breaking Bad. These guys are going bad, and what makes you go bad? You know, I love that that's carried on to the show. And yes. Anyway, so I love that scene. Mike is at the bar, but he goes over and he gives them a hug. And he says, I knew it was you. But in the background, here's the last point I will make. In the background, there's this music playing. And I looked it up. And because, I, because I'm a fan of Breaking Bad, I know that they, per, they plant music and songs where the lyrics match up to what's going on in the show. And I love it. And I actually, I want to ask um, Kelly Dixon. I'm going to tweet her. I tweeted her the other day and told her how great her podcast was, and she got back to us, and it was like the highlight of my year. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, Kelly Dixon, but I know you're not listening. But either way, <laughs> thank you. Uh, but in the background, 38 Special was playing, and I, I'm curious as to know how they pick this music, if they do it as an afterthought or if they do it as the writing, because the song is Hold On Loosely, 
And the lyrics um, are basically something about good loving going bad. And if you, if you, if you don't, if you hold too tightly, you're going to lose control. Mm-hmm. And Mike is st- sitting there with the glass in his hand and he's squeezing the glass as they're saying this. And he's about to lose control. So anyways, I, I just loved it. I love, I love finding those like hidden like Easter eggs behind everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of that in both series. Mm-hmm. So what did you what did you guys think about or or actually I think this kind of leads into the whole setup of what Mike had planned in that flashback yeah. to Philadelphia. I just thought it was so genius. Um you can see the the pain that Mike is feeling when he's talking to his daughter-in-law and you realize how how guilty he felt. How he mm-hmm. just felt um that that he was responsible for his son's death when in reality you can tell it's obvious that it was the situation and there was really no way around it. But he took that guilt that he felt and the, he felt that he was a dirty cop. And Mm -hmm. so he could use all of his experiences to get into that mindset of the dirty cops and, um, make a very, very well thought out plan. Mm-hmm. And I just loved how it seemed obvious to, to everyone, to the daughter-in-law and to the, the cops that are investigating him in the present that he, you know, he was drunk all the time. He was depressed. Mm-hmm. He was very sad. And the whole time, like you said, instead of losing it, he was planning and he set everything up and he, he basically anticipated their every move and used it against them. It was just great. He didn't initiate contact one time. He didn't seek them out. He waited for them to look to him and he went over there, responded to them. And then he waited for them to kind of seek him out at bar closing time. It was just just genius i i just loved it and i i watched the episode a second time and all those little things just clicked together and it was just it was amazing it was very much like breaking bad where they just set everything up and you just wonder how did they make all the pieces fit so perfectly yeah it and mike really used the the self-defense mechanism uh, on that stuff like yeah he didn't he didn't draw the gun or well he had the gun drawn uh, when he real, you know, when he realized, and I use realize in quotation marks because he knew what was going on. Uh, just... yeah, he waited till they basically said they were going to kill him before he drew his gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was like he was he was just waiting to make sure he was doing the right thing by Maddie. You know, because if he killed these cops on a whim, that would be one thing. But it was like he he, he got the evidence he needed. You could tell he didn't want to. I mean, he had the gun drawn for a long time. And he waited until they shot him. Well, they waited. They waited or, until he waited until uh, he he uh, clicked the the blank right. gun. Till the with, sergeant fired at him. Mm-hmm. The the blank gun that was them in the car. Yeah, he that was, right was in the car. Him. Yeah, the the silver one that they took from Mike when they took him in the car. He didn't have that loaded intentionally because he anticipated mm-hmm. they would take it. It was brilliant. Yeah, and he played the drunk, not paying attention out of it guy we can just dump i mean he played it so well he really did and even to the point where i noticed on my second viewing that you know when he left the bar uh the bartender was said you know said hey mike it's closing time and he gets his stuff together and he walks out 
And he says, well, I'm on my way to Albuquerque tomorrow. You know, I, I didn't quite understand that as to why he would tell people where he was going if he had been planning to do this. But then I realized he was telling the bartender that he was going to Albuquerque before the cops were shot so that he had an alibi as to why he would be going to Albuquerque because he had planned this long before the cops were even shot. Yeah, you know, I mean, exactly, I, I just thought it was brilliant. That's exactly what I was thinking. It was like he did nothing to warrant red flags. As a cop, he knew exactly what needed to happen and what <laughs> couldn't happen. And he even used the phrase or when they were interviewing him in the present, he said, you know, I didn't even find out about their deaths till I was already on my way to Albuquerque, which was what he had set up by telling the guy that he was going before the deaths happened. Great point. Yeah, absolutely. It was absolutely. like textbook cop making sure he wouldn't get caught. And that's and that's the other kind of question. It, if I remember right, I mean, three months is, is three months have passed. Uh, I for some reason three months is, is sticking out to me from okay. when from when the cops died to uh, the present time. Um, it's taken a long time for the Philadelphia cops to kind of uh, check up, you know, check on this Mike thing, which which means a there's kind of a push. For to to get things checked, or B, uh, just because they they had they thought they had other leads and things that aren't for the story, you know, for, for the sake of you know script telling and everything like that. Yeah, I agree. They even said like they were only here as a hail mary, and Mike knew that. That's that's why he he wanted to get that notebook. Yeah, I I, I agree. Um, I think your point is B, uh, that that they had other leads because, you know, from that interview that they do have that we'll talk about in a few moments with Mike, they make it very clear that these guys might have been up to something bad. So they probably had 16,000 other, like, leads to follow first. And then they thought, well, could it have been Mike? Uh, You know, could he have been getting revenge on his son? Uh, for his son's uh, death, and how did they how did they work it out that Fenske and Hoffman? I mean, maybe it took that long for them to figure out that maybe it wasn't the mob of that city or the other people that they may have owed favors to that they didn't follow through because they were bad cops. Mm-hmm. You're right. I bet the fact that they were bad cops meant they had tons of leads, and all the leads pointed to maybe they had something to do with Maddie's death. And and I guess I wonder how bad of a cop Mike actually was. These these two guys that come in, I, I didn't get their names, but the two detectives from Philadelphia, they 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 seem to know and kind of admire him. You know, they kept saying, you know, hey, come on, just just talk to us. Just and I loved that Mike, because it was it was exactly like any smart cop, anybody involved with law enforcement would do, which would just say lawyer, mm-hmm. lawyer. I think they were hoping they could get him to talk. And if he was able to, if, if he would start talking about those two, he would get emotional and it would all be obvious, you know, Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. he had passionate dislike for them. And there's that common saying about cops when they interrogate someone that once you call lawyer, that means you're guilty. And, and that's not true, particularly if you are somebody who is familiar with the process. Um, If you're somebody who's familiar with it, then you know Call your lawyer yeah. no matter what. Uh, and and so I don't think that it really makes Mike look guilty. I think it just shows that he's experienced. He knows to call for a lawyer. Well, yeah, and, and anybody who kind of has the basics of the law, I mean, once you say lawyer, that you really, you're on ice. 
Uh, they can't really, you know, talk to you after that. It, it, you know, you can't, you can't talk to somebody without their lawyer once they, they ask for one. Uh, mm. I mean, they can try, but it's almost, you know. And yeah, also the lawyer's there to shut you up. If you start going down a path of getting emotional and saying things you shouldn't be saying to the police, they just stop it right there. So it's a good defense. Mm-hmm. Which kind of leads into, uh, uh, Mike, uh, Calling Jimmy, uh, he he didn't need a will, but he called McGill. Uh, he uh, he he called him up and, and kind of you know explained what was going on, but but not really. Uh, he kind of no. told, he, I mean, he kind of told him, "Hey, you're here for for show. Uh, I just need you to, to do this uh, one thing and spill the coffee type stuff." It, it was kind of interesting that this whole coffee thing uh, took. For the one act Jimmy McGill is in, uh, he has a significant impact. He told Jimmy to spill this coffee and say, hey, just spill it, and I'll take it from there. And he's just like, wait, what are you talking about? Like, just, no, I'm here as your lawyer. Tell me what's up. Whatever. He's like, no, I'm not telling you anything. And he kind of forces the lawyers to uh, start from the beginning. uh, The detectives. Yeah. Yeah, he, he gets the detectives to start from the beginning and say, hey, think of me as this uh, big dummy and that doesn't know anything. And start from the beginning. And it, it was very genius, Jimmy, to kind of say, hey, I, I want part of this story. I want to know what's going on. And it, it's very, very interesting that he called. He, he didn't yeah. need a friend. I think well, he that's said it back. You know, that's something I never put two and two together about, about how when they sat down, Jimmy said, Okay, pretend I don't know anything because I don't know anything about what's going on, what's happening with my client. Mm-hmm. Because then it keep it makes him clean from the dump or uh, uh, bump and dump the Juan Valdez bump and dump. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I mean, because why would he do that if he had no idea what was going on when he walked in the room? Mm-hmm. I think Sharon said oh, it best. He wasn't looking for a friend; he was looking for a lawyer, like a a criminal lawyer, not not a friend or anything <laughs> like that. Uh, to to pull that stuff. Well, before we kind of move in to more of the bump and dump discussion, let's talk yeah. about Audible. For our listeners of the Lawyer Up podcast, audible.com is offering a free audiobook download with a 30-day free trial to give you an opportunity to check out this wonderful service. And uh, Jackie and I kind of have some recommendations that you guys can can download with your free audiobook. So Jack, kind of give us something that's on your radar. Well, this is one that I, I purchased, uh, I, think, I think it was back in 2013 or 2012, but I I actually strangely know this band, Duran Duran. I've met them many, many times. I've seen them on like 23 of their live shows. I know John Taylor, Simon LeBon of Duran Duran, but I absolutely love this book. And if, if you're interested in music and the music industry, and particularly how it's changed from let's say, you know, the early, the late 70s into uh, the 90s. I think this book by John Taylor called In the Pleasure Groove, Love, Death, and Duran Duran is quite interesting. It's basically, it's any of those 80s, 70s, 80s pop artists that got into heavily into drugs, struggled to it's actually a surprise that most of the members of this band are still around because of what they went through. Uh, but this book is a, it's probably one of the best self help help books that you could read because of the way that he just focused on getting his life back together 
And But not only that, the example that he gives about the music industry and what it really takes, uh, what, what all of the, and, and the way I think it relates to this episode is the mob-like mentality of the music industry. I believe previously I mentioned another book uh, called uh, Kitchen Confidential um, by Anthony Bourdain, and he talked about the mob industry in the culinary world, which shocked me. But this is another example of that as well. So, uh, yeah, In the Pleasure Groove, Love, Dr Death, and Duran Duran by John Taylor, narrated by Dr uh, John Taylor. So, Rick, what have you been listening to? Uh, it, it's kind of funny that you mention, uh, you know, mob, you know, a, kind of a relation to this episode. Uh, uh, a book that, that kind of, uh, I think everybody has seen the movie, uh, 21. It's actually the original book that it's based off of, uh, bringing, bringing Down the House, the inside story of six MIT students who took Vegas for, for millions. And, nice. uh, it, it's almost kind of related to the bump and dump, uh, kind of story that we're talking about. Uh, the slip and Jimmy. Yeah. Slip and Jimmy. It, it's very con game type stuff. He basically goes in depth into what, uh, these kids did, uh, as far as like their count card counting system and you know kind of the stuff that they that they were going through when uh all this stuff you know when they were racking up millions uh it's not uh it's i think it's a little bit better than the movie but i mean hollywood kind of over has to you know insert a love story as well as a bad guy and things like that most of the time when it comes to based off true storybooks uh but it, uh these guys were looking to make money and they made money to the point where uh a lot of them can't even gamble in in Vegas casinos anymore because they are they are banned from from you know wow. doing all this stuff. Uh even even the main guy, he was a consultant on the movie and you know they filmed in Vegas casinos and Yeah, I saw that. And yeah. uh yeah, they they kind of had to like have him have him almost watched uh, even closer because uh, even though he was a consultant, he was on set and everything, uh, they still didn't want him around like the actual tables and everything like that. Uh, so uh, it's written by uh, Ben Mazurik and uh, narrated by Johnny Heller. Uh, it's it's a unabridged book and it's also Whisper Sync ready, which uh, we explained earlier in the season. Whisper Sync, no matter where you are, uh, if you're listening on your phone, or if you're listening uh, on a different device, you will always be at the same, at the furthest place you'll go as long as you have internet connectivity. Uh, basically, it's like a, a Kindle book for your for your ears. Uh, no matter where you are, you're you're always at the point where you left off. So now you can obviously you don't have to listen to the Duran Duran stuff. Maybe you're not into that kind of silly pop stuff, uh, but uh, you don't have to use one of our recommendations. But you can pick any book of your choice by going to www.audibletrial.com/lawyerup. And as we've mentioned, they have over 150,000 titles to choose from that you can access on your PC, your Android, or your Kindle device. Let's move on and talk very quickly because we talked about that that Mike actually ended up calling Saul. He, he plots down that card and he says, the card says, Need a will, call McGill. And yeah, how appropriate, right? Yes, very appropriate. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we, uh, before we, before we kind of, uh, go on about that, we had actually a little feedback, uh, from at 
Wabbit Magic. And uh, he thank we, you, Wabbit Magic. Yes, thank you very much for the feedback. And we, uh, he kind of said, funny how Saul denies the bump and dump up until the time he actually does it. Our our crack team here at Lawyer Up <laughs> Podcast. Uh, we we kind of asked him, did you ever think he intended to follow through on it? He kind of said, Mike was sure that he would, and so he he just thought it was going to happen. Uh, but one of our in discussions, it looked like he wasn't going to at first, and then yeah, he started I agree. The, yeah, when he I, started the I, story of you know the loss of uh his son Maddie, he he kind of changed his mind. Uh, I, I I absolutely saw that on Jimmy's face. That and and which is why I still will stand behind the fact that I think that Jimmy is a really good guy because I think that he looked at Mike. When it was revealed that Mike's son had been murdered, that that was the point in my mind that McGill, Jimmy McGill decided, I'm going to follow through. I'll do what he needs because I can do it. I'm slipping Jimmy. But I mean, what do you guys think? What do you, uh, let's start with Sharon. Yeah, I definitely think that he was, when, when Mike first proposed this idea that Jimmy was just outraged. I really think that. Every time somebody proposes something like this, he says, hey, I'm a lawyer. I'm here to do the lawyer things and uphold the law and help you. And he was really legitimately outraged. I don't think that he intended to do it. That's why he asked for the backstory so he could do his good lawyer job. And then as he started to hear the backstory, it it seemed obvious that he realized about Mike's son dying, and he realized that Mike was a suspect for the murder of these two guys, basically, and he just felt bad for him, and I think he ended up deciding to do it at the last minute. It's kind of hard to tell because, you know, I mean, it was really hard for him to take the money from the Kettleman's when they were trying to shove money his way, Mm -hmm. but he took it. So, I mean, is this the same kind of example where he doesn't want to do it? I mean, is 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 it Chuck hanging over his head? That he doesn't want to disappoint him. What is it that, I mean, is it just, is I, I, is it because he's so desperate to become a legitimate lawyer like his older brother that he doesn't, he wants to break away from it and he can't and he seems to keep slipping back into Jimmy? I, I think, I think that's a good, a good assessment. It's, you know, every, it, every time he does something good, uh, something always, uh, pulls him back in, in the other, in the other direction. Uh, him, reaching out to my, you know, Mike reaching out to him and he's saying, Hey, you know, this is, I'm doing good now. No, no need for that. But, uh, something kind of swayed his way and he's just like, well, you know, I gotta, I gotta help him because they're, they think he did this, which by the way, he, um, you know, unless it's a deleted scene or something like that, he never admitted to Jimmy that he, he did this. Uh, this is revealed only to, you know, us, and uh, his daughter. That, yeah. And, and technically, he didn't even say it to his daughter either. You're right. So, I mean, this is all a, you know, for our own eyes only. So, it, it Jimmy's uh, pace could change if, you know, he finds out Mike actually did this or something like that. But, I mean, obviously, there's there's some type of repercussions because uh, the detective's notebook was taken. And it's very... It's not like it's a hard thing to be like, oh, you know, it, Mike took my notebook when that asshole uh, 
you know, spilled coffee on me. You're saying it's going to be obvious. Yeah, it's going to be obvious. I mean, it's, I, even looking back at a second time, uh, it's kind of a little bit clearer that like, oh, you know, he literally took his notebook and there are, unless things changed from, really changed from like the 90s, 2000s to now, there are cameras in the interrogation room. So I'm, I'm positive they could Easily be like, yeah, you see that move right there? You pulling that bump and dump? Uh, you took my notebook. Now you're deep Wait. shit, buddy. I don't know if that's a crime. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure uh, the great Jimmy McGill can uh, take him out for you know yeah, that get charge. Him get him uh, off. Wasn't that funny that he says, um, you know, to him when he gets in the car? First he says, "Oh, do you have to do that right here?" And then he, as they're driving away, he says. How did you know? He's like, know what? That I would do it. Obviously, Mike's just like, huh. He's like, what does huh mean? <laughs> How did you, you know? I mean, of course, you know, I, I think that Jimmy was just a little bit insulted. Because I think that when he first got that call that he needed to show up for Mike to help him out in a situation, he was probably like doing a little dance. Like, yeah, he called me. I'm a legitimate attorney. And he shows up. And... And, 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 you know, uh, Mike requests coffee. So he, he's, he's probably more than happy to go pick up that coffee. And he shows up because he thinks that this guy really wants his help. And then he shows up and he's, and, and what it comes down to is, you know, Mike did not want him for his legal experience. He wanted him to dump, he'd be a sleeping Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what and it comes down to for me is I think that Mike, no, I think that Jimmy had this past period in his life when he was slipping Jimmy. And I believe that when he became a lawyer, he thought he was turning over a new leaf. He yeah. was going to be like a reputable citizen and earn money on the up and up. And, you know, he was going to hit it big and help people. And every time it comes up, they want him to go back to his old ways. And he doesn't want to. But mm. there's always like they talk him into it or there's little reasons that he can justify it and he doesn't realize that he will he will be doing both yeah i mean that's kind of funny to come from somebody who is a slipping jimmy like and without being an attorney and then going into the uh you know the, the world of being a lawyer and then thinking for a moment that you're not i mean because i mean I, I, I shouldn't talk. I mean, I've got relatives who are attorneys, but you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of the whole nature of the process that you're going to be a little bit of a slipping Jimmy, uh, with, you know, within the legal process, because unfortunately that's how it works. Um, at least in, you know, my, my experience of it. But like uh, you but, said, uh, when you were bringing up his brother and stuff, I think he felt like I'm the bad kid and he's the, the good kid mm -hmm. and. He's the the respectable lawyer, and he makes money on the up and up, and I'm sneaking about it. And I think he really thought he was going to change. So, Rick, uh, before we, because I know Sharon had a great um, comment about how how he, you know, Mike gets to that final point talking to Stacy, 
about the final decision, you know, what happened with Maddie. But what do you think about uh, about the coffee spilling thing and and McGill or Jimmy McGill? Uh, I think it, I think uh, I think you guys, you know, combined my thoughts into one huge discussion. Uh, <laughs> it, it's it was very i think it was very clear that jimmy wasn't going to do this and then you know just kind of once things were revealed he pulled the trigger on the the coffee spill and i i think he did it out of almost almost like an annoying an one cuz there was a, a conversation of like hey you know you you owe me for you know covering for you back yeah. back there and uh, it was almost kind of you know paying back the favor type thing even if he wasn't going to do it and whether i think the the story kind of said hey, all right i i own one i gotta you know i'll do this thing and you know i can i can be like well you know i just spilled coffee it's no big no big deal whatever you can buy a suit you know in philly you know when you get back type stuff so i i think he, he intentionally wasn't going to do it and then um uh, as the story went on and, you know, he's just like, all right, well, I, I owe him one, so I'll do it, you know. But, uh, so let's go, go to the, literally the last line. Yeah, I thought that it was, it was very interesting that he bared his soul to her. She made it very clear that she would love her husband, Maddie, no matter what, if he was a dirty cop, it didn't matter. And so he kind of took this opportunity to clear his chest and to, to tell her the story, the one person who loved Maddie as much as he did, the one person who could understand. And she says at the very end that she she just wants to get back at them and she wants him to be real with her and tell her what happened. And he says, you know, you know what happened. Basically, I just told you in not so many words. Can you deal with it? And we see, knowing knowing what we know, I feel like the answer is no, that she can't deal with it. And it's... It's very, it's very sad knowing what's coming for Mike. And I think that he thinks she'd love Matt no matter what, but, but his dad, it's not the same. And thinking of him as a murderer now, is she going to want him around her, her child? Even though she admits that all she wants is justice for those two guys. It, it, it really doesn't matter. Like Mike said, you have to go along to get along. And when everyone is crooked, you don't have the option to turn people in. And she, from the outside, can say, we should have turned them in, you know. But he knew that that wasn't an option, and he solved it on his own the best way he knew how, taking his guilt and making up for breaking his son. And he thought that she could understand, but I really don't think she's going to want to talk to him again. This is the perfect way to... Uh, kind of wrap up our episode before we move into our Breaking Bad discussion. So, because I think as a disclaimer, we've said all along that we would not spoil anything Breaking Bad until the very end. Uh, but before we do that, um, we do have some other quotes. But do, Rick, do you have a sp- response first? Because I have handwritten my notes on what uh, I think a very good evaluation of kind of a one. A one-line thing, and it's not a throwaway line or anything like that, mm. uh, by all means. But it's, uh, yeah, it. She wants this uh, justice, but I don't think that she can, you know, get this justice unless uh, Mike is the one that kind of takes the fall, because it's almost the the scenario of like, you know, yeah, you 
you solved the problem, but now you've created a bigger problem. Uh, things like that. Yeah, and he's willing to take the fall because he's just burdened with that guilt. Mm-hmm. And and that's the thing with uh, Better Call Saul. It, we, we thought the main sort of thing was there's going to be Kettleman's all season and, and then... Yeah, uh, good point. Uh, yeah, you know, true. Kettleman's are gone and then we thought, oh, Nacho is going to lead back into... You know, it's very up in the air because we only have a few more episodes i mean yeah you're absolutely right like it, it's not going to be a one based show mm-hmm. and it seems like these now we're getting to the point where you know oh we've we've kind of laid the groundwork for all these characters and now we're going to maybe uh, again uh, i'm wrong every time uh, but it's maybe we'll start getting the the kettlemans and the nachos and and uh, his you know the justice for for Maddie all rolled rolled into into one kind of a big huge storyline bang out episode. You know, you know, I I kind of hope not. I hope I hope that they don't rush to combine all the stories to end the season. I don't think that they will because of the fact that we knew that even before. That's a good question. That would be the question to go back to that whether or not they're going to try and wrap all of this up because they thought it would be one epi- season. But we've known for quite some time, even before the season launched, that they had a season two. Mm-hmm. So there's no reason to wrap up all these stories. And I hope that they don't. I hope they don't try and struggle to do that. And that's and that's the thing that it kind of has the advantage of over uh, Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad, uh, year to year, didn't know if it was coming back until... That- Good point. Until Good the point. end, uh, until the you know the fifth season, where they were like, "Okay, here's here's a uh, sixteen, uh, wrap all this up and you're finished." Type scenario, uh, because every every season uh, kind of ended of like, "Okay, if we don't come back, well, we had a good run." Type things, you know. We uh, so uh, Jackie, you kind of brought up. Uh, so right now we are in Breaking Bad territory. Uh, Jackie, you've. Uh, for Breaking Bad fans, know Kaylee is not uh, a uh, mystery. The uh, the daughter of uh, she's kind of a mystery in Breaking Bad. In, in Breaking Bad, yes, uh, but things are kind of resolved. Uh, yeah, kind of. Uh, well, this, yeah. But yeah, uh, tell us about your kind of a uh, little mini theory. Well, okay. Well, there was two things that I wanted to mention, which is the uh, Nita will call McGill. Uh, which I thought was funny um, because of the parallels with the uh, Breaking Bad episodes where, um, you know, the main characters and again, don't you don't have to go if you're kind of wondering, am I going to be spoiled? You're not going to be spoiled. Um, but the main characters of Breaking Bad, they are constantly they're obviously making money, right? So they're wondering where that money is going to go. It's really funny that. It's such a subtle hint in this episode that that McGill is interested in de- developing wills or creating wills for people, and that's pretty much what he's doing for the cast of Breaking Bad. Is that he's taking in this money and he's trying to make sure it goes to who it needs to go to, whether or not these people live or go to prison or whatever happens to them. Um, so, you know, I I thought that that was kind of funny. Um. So, but, but it also was kind of interesting that we finally got to see the mother of Kaylee, who was Stacy. And 
Uh, did, did we ever see any of that in Breaking Bad? Do you guys know or do you recall any of that backstory other than the fact that he had a granddaughter that he was desperate to give money to? I do not. Uh, I think, if I remember right, I think it was kind of uh, a nanny or something like that or it, that had something to do with bringing Kaylee to places. Uh, it's uh, It's very... It's very interesting now that we're talking about this because that's yeah. very a you know minuscule uh thing in uh, Breaking Bad and they've kind of expanded this a little bit, uh. So I'm sure a lot of the people that you know uh are gonna watch the season and they're gonna jump back and do kind of uh, specific episodes in Breaking Bad. They'll they'll kind of uh expose this you know thing a little bit more. But I don't remember uh stacy ever being uh a part of the cast or you know even mentioned uh i just always assumed that uh kaylee uh she was she's living with like some sort of grandmother that isn't mike uh obviously because mike's a dude but uh you know uh it's uh that stuff isn't mentioned stacy isn't mentioned whatever i don't i don't remember and you know anything mentioned as far as like a fallout between Stacy and Mike, uh, so it should be interesting to see kind of where this leads into, you know, from prequel to uh, you know not sequel. This is definitely the strongest episode of the season, and I feel like we say that every every episode mm. uh, <laughs> of you know, uh, I think I think a lot of people are now. Are kind of I, I've seen so many tweets of like oh my goodness you know better call Saul better call you know better call Saul you know this I think this episode is the turning point of like um of just you know people like saying okay so if you've gotten up to this point you know this uh, you're either going to love it or you're going to hate it uh just because this this I I personally believe that this episode is going to set up a lot uh for for the rest of the season probably even in the series if uh things uh, in my head are going the way that i think mm-hmm. that they're going to go uh mm. so it's it's very this is probably the strongest episode of the season and i'm so a reminder you can please subscribe to us on iTunes uh you can also now subscribe to us on Twitch uh, Stitcher please go to Stitcher look up lawyer up podcast and sign up for us. Uh, also, we would very much appreciate that, by the way. Uh, also, you can email us at lawyerup at gmail dot lawyeruppodcast at gmail dot com. Our voicemail is area code five zero five seven five zero seventeen sixty four, or just tweet us. You know, uh, any kind of messages. That's where a lot of our feedback comes from. So you can tweet us at lawyeruppodcast on Twitter. Uh, Rick, where can people find you? Uh, people can find me at Rick Foster and, uh, rickfoster.org. Uh, you can find, uh, most of my works on, uh, on rickfoster.org, but mostly, uh, I Twitter a lot. So if I do something, uh, new, it's usually on Twitter the second I do it. So, uh, at Rick Foster and rickfoster.org. I think I said .com, but it's actually .org. Hmm, yeah. Awesome. And Jackie, where can people find you? Oh, well, I'm at JackieHearn81 on Twitter, of course. Uh, JackieHearn.com. You can find all my shenanigans. But I do want to promote um, my podcast. If you happen to watch the House of Cards 
uh, we are starting up the second season or the third season. I'm sorry of House of Cards uh, with um, a, a good friend of ours, Roberto Viegas, and you can find that on the BritishTechNetwork.com. Uh, you can also find us on iTunes. I think we're one of the top three uh, House of Cards podcasts, but doesn't matter doesn't mean anything uh but thank you so much uh please uh follow us and also final special thanks as always to sebastian gonzalez that's s-e-b-g-o-n-z for awesome album art if you would like awesome album art uh you can reach him as well and then finally johnny feisty j-o-h-n-n-y-f-i-e-s-t-y he created this awesome music that you're listening to right now so thank you guys so much, and I guess until next week. Lawyer up. Lawyer up. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>